The idea has always been in fighting that the champion takes on all challengers, the best of the best, but that doesn't mean that those champions have to be exactly thrilled about the matchups. In fact, sometimes they use every bit of leverage they have in their position to outright avoid certain fights altogether. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, a huge shout out to the biggest channel supporters and our Hall of Famers. Let's talk about 10 fights champions did not want to take. Number 10, Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington. Another very recent one, another very ongoing one. And as you'll see with a few fights on this list, just another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of slash talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Because the champ refuses doesn't mean that's what's going to end up happening. After all, the boss is the boss at the end of the day, and if they want you fighting this guy or that guy, it's only your will against theirs, and the UFC has proven time and time again that they don't give a single fuck. They will strip the shit out of you. I could care less. But none of that stopped Rocky Edwards from doing what he could to prevent Colby Covington from being gifted a third title challenge. Listen, you didn't get the title shot next night. Look at the road I, I, I take to get there, right? Sit out for a year and a half, and then randomly pops up at the Waynes and be like, okay, he's fine for the title next. Like, it makes no sense, like, Supposedly prompting a warning from White to chill or get stripped. The strategy, however, was later revealed by Edwards' manager in another interview with Ariel. The idea was to see how Burns versus Masvidal played out because if Jorge had won, given their history, that would have been a massive moneymaker and a no-brainer. In fact, so much so that I'm sure the UFC would have agreed to it as well. But since that didn't happen, Edwards and team felt that Bilal Muhammad, who is on a 10-fight unbeaten streak and was an opponent that he'd already trained for and faced at least for 5 minutes and 18 seconds before a no-contest eye poke made the most sense. And, of course, Muhammad is the most deserving fighter. Sounds like you have mental problems, man. Yeah, you got mental problems, man. But now that the money isn't going to be Jorge 2019 cash, it sounds like Edwards and his team aren't going to make that much more fuss about Covington getting his shot. To me, this is definitely an example of a smart refusal to see if better options come about. Number 9. George St. Pierre versus Johnny Hendricks. Now, you won't find a quote of GSP saying that he didn't want to fight Johnny Hendricks outright, but he did say he doesn't want to fight a guy on steroids in a conversation about the man, so you don't need to read between the lines to figure out that he didn't want to fight Big Rig. Basically, he thought the guy was a big old cheater-cheater pumpkin eater, going so far as to first suggest Vada testing prior to the bout. Remember, this is pre-USADA partnership, and not only that, but intending to fit the bill himself for the testing. I wanted to do something positive. I've been accused in the past. I wanted to show everyone that it's possible to be champion and, and uh without losing drug and I want to make a statement, raise the bar. George had six fights or six years to uh, to prove his innocence of people accusing him of stuff. He wants to prove it with me. He just chose the wrong person because I chose Wada. Wada is a lot harder testing than the other one he wanted to use. Once again, Wada doesn't do the testing. It doesn't do testing. Wada, it does the guideline. Vada use Wada guideline 
for their their test. All signs point to GSP very worried that his opponent Hendricks was on PEDs and hoped that testing would make this a fight he didn't take if it wasn't going to be 100% clean. The bout did of course happen, and the winner was GSP, and there was no controversy about it at all. Number 8. Aljamain Sterling versus Marab Dawalish Wheelie. The UFC has had a long sordid history of buddies and teammates not wanting to fight each other, with Dana White none too happy about it. And it even happens at the championship level. There was of course Jacare when Anderson Silva was middleweight king, and more famously friends, DC and Kane at heavyweight. I'm not gonna fight Kane Velasquez, I'm not gonna fight Luke Rockhold. It'll never happen. I would actually much rather vacate both championships and fight both of those guys. But those two situations were slightly different. Jacare never quite made it to that top contender spot, and DC avoided the conflict with his bestie altogether by quickly moving down to light heavyweight in the UFC. The same cannot be said for Aljo and Marab. Like the previously mentioned buddies, both men have outright said they refuse to fight each other, but the machine is the clear number one contender at bantamweight. I'm so sorry, Mr. Skittles. And has been for at least a few fights now. Dewalish Wheelie is on a nine-fight tear and defeated former champion Pyotr Jan in his last outing. Sterling continues to go on record saying that he'll not be fighting his best bud, going so far as to imply that he's moving up to featherweight after his bout with O'Malley. That's a friendship that I would never want to ruin over, over what? I mean... And as far as Marab is concerned, well, don't ask him to fight his friend unless you yourself are prepared to fight Marab. Uncle Dana ominously warned the machine that things wouldn't go well for him if he refused to fight for the title, but it sounds like this conflict will probably resolve itself soon given Aljo's intentions. Number 7. Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman I recently jumped into the John Jones, Sergey Pavlovich conversation on Twitter by discussing this very entry, to which I was called on it until I produced the receipts in the form of an Ed Sorez interview. What does Anderson say? to you in regards to Chris Weidman and Luke Rockhold. Luke Rockhold could be a great potential opponent. And I think Chris Weidman, not that, uh, not to take anything away from who he is as a fighter, but I, w- I would like to see Anderson fight someone that, that's a little bit more recognized. I don't think Anderson has anything to gain from that fight other than beating a super tough, unknown guy. Anderson Silva absolutely did not want to fight Chris Weidman. And it makes sense, just like the point I was trying to make about JBJ and Sergey. While Weidman was clearly the top contender, undefeated at 9-0 with five straight victories in the UFC, his last two being against top divisional talent like Mark Munoz and Damian Maya, it made all the sense in the world that he would get the next title challenge. And of course he did, but Silva rightly felt that the risk-reward ratio on this one was off the charts bad. It was a nightmare scenario that Silva rightly tried to avoid, but ultimately met the worst possible outcome on. Number 6. Demetrius Johnson versus TJ Dillashaw. This one was a big ol' mess, and Mighty Mouse had a laundry list of reasons that he wasn't going to be fighting Snake Boy. TJ Dillashaw, who was lined up for a title challenge at Bantamweight with his former buddy Cody G, did not want to sit around and wait as the champ had an injury he was healing up from, so TJ proposed a move down to 125 in the meantime to snap DJ's title defense streak before he could set the all-time record. Sounded like a cool idea, but Johnson was not having any of it. He didn't like the idea of Dillashaw skipping over an entire division that he'd not fought in. He was worried about if TJ could even make the weight, thus turning his record-breaking defense into a really tough non-title bout. He wanted pay-per-view points, and some better compensation if he was going to risk it. And honestly, man, I can't blame him. His legacy was tied to that next title challenge. The UFC was trying to push this thing onto him, and he knew he was never going to get what he wanted money-wise. And if Demetrius is the pound-for-pound best guy in the world, then fight TJ Dillashaw. Fight somebody that people will actually care about. I'd have fought Ray Borg, too. Go set that all-time record. Fuck it. Number 5. 
Tyron Woodley versus Colby Covington. While Leon Edwards had a good case against Covington in our first entry, the same cannot be said for when Tyron Woodley wanted nothing to do with chaos. At 8-1 in the division on a four-fight streak, Colby was clearly the next in line, but T. Wood dismissed him at every turn, eyeing a bout with Nate Diaz instead. Nate Diaz, I think me and him can show down it at the event. Let's make the money. I think he's deserved it. I think he's put enough um, butts in the seat. He deserved <laughs> to make that payday, so let's go get it. The UFC has offered you the Nate Diaz fight. 10-4. And you have agreed. Correct. Problem is that Nate Diaz is scared. What? Despite him being out for the last 16 months, and other than the Connor fights, not being a welterweight for five years. Yep. Anybody, All right. Anybody you'd want to... While I can't fault Tyron for wanting that sweet, sweet Diaz money, the fight made zero sense, and according to Covington, Woodley was offered to fight him at UFC 219 but declined, prompting the UFC to make an interim title for Colby. Chaos would then opt for a surgery and miss out on a bout with Woodley, who beat up Darren Till instead. Bosh, amazing, sick, great, fantastic, what else do you want me to say? But the rivalry remained white hot, and so the UFC tried to put it together yet again at UFC 233, but according to Dana White, Woodley refused the matchup. This would result in the event being canceled altogether. T. Wood refuted the claim, saying that he was open to a bout on that date, but he wanted to make sure that his hand, which had been injured, was 100% before he took on someone as dangerous as Covington. The doctor said, well, you she might have to sit there and down a little bit because your hand fucked up, dog. The two would end up finally fighting in 2020, but by that time, Woodley was closer to being KO'd by Jake Paul than he was his impressive title reign. Number four, Michael Bisbee bean versus anybody but GSP. So this is another one that's pretty damn hard to blame the guy, right? I mean, he just became one of the most unlikely champions in UFC history. There were all these rumors that GSP wanted to come back and to fight for the middleweight title, specifically because Bisbean won it. So of course he would want to wait for that fight more than doing anything else, especially considering your other options being the true top contenders, Yoel Romero and Robert Whitaker, which is not to imply that Bisbean wouldn't have fought them. Hey, Dana! Give me that fucking boy! I do absolutely think he would. I'm not trying to say that he was scared. What I'm saying is that the prospect of fighting GSP was so much bigger than anything else that could have been, and he knew he was probably only ever going to get one shot at a fight like that. Now, of course, he did fight Dan Henderson, who was ranked outside of the top 10, and he was injured for a considerable amount of time in 2017, which made those bouts with Romero and Whitaker difficult to put together. Although some fans have theorized that maybe he used the injury to ensure he was off long enough to make the fight with GSP, which took forever, if you recall, to put together. Whatever the case, I really can't blame the count one bit. Number three, Jermaine Durandamy versus Chris Cyborg. If there was a list of things not to do when you win the first ever title in a division that was essentially created for a single fighter who was now going to finally get a chance to compete for said championship, at number one would have been refusing to fight said division creating fighter. But that list was sadly not presented to Jermaine Durandamy before she refused to fight Chris Cyborg after defeating Holly Holm for the first ever UFC women's featherweight strap. The division, which never truly existed beyond the title fights that it generated, was literally made as a showcase for Cyborg, who fought at 145 and was clearly one of the most dominant champions in the sport. But when push came to shove, GDR cited Chris's prior PED failure six years earlier as the reason she would not be granting her a title challenge, essentially accusing her of being a cheater. This did not go over well, at the time at least. Later, the UFC 
Cersei would use this to throw Cyborg under the bus on her way out, but that's a story for a different time. In the moment, Durandamy was stripped of her title and shamed all over MMA social media. Chris would fight for the vacant title and win it less than two months after GDR was stripped for refusing to fight her. Number two, Tito Ortiz versus Chuck Liddell. Now, depending on who you're talking to, the reasons are different, but the conclusion is the same. Tito Ortiz did not want to fight Chuck Liddell, and as a result, would sit out for nearly a year at the prime and height of his career. Things came to a head after Ortiz defended his light heavyweight title against Ken Shamrock, and it was clear that Liddell was the number one guy and next in line. In fact, many have speculated that the UFC was protecting Tito's title reign by giving Chuck top contender fights while never allowing him to compete for the championship himself because they knew he would knock off the Golden Goose. But with the Iceman's popularity growing exponentially, it was now unavoidable. Ortiz refused, saying to this day that it was simply about money. Liddell and Dana have both said that he just didn't want to lose the title and knew he would, so he stalled as long as possible. Whatever the case, an interim title was brought in to force more pressure, although it backfired when Randy Couture defeated Chuck. The two would eventually fight more than a year after they really should have, with the Iceman KOing the former champ who had dropped the strap to Couture. Number one, John Jones versus Chael Sonnen. Yes, it is the most infamous of instances of a champion refusing to fight a challenger. If you want to call Chael Sonnen a challenger, and all I gotta say is, when you're the greatest fighter in the world, they got the name for you. They don't call you a great fighter, they call you. They call you Chael you Sonnen. You damn right. Beat him if you can. You're damn right they do. The guy hadn't fought at light heavyweight in seven years at the time of UFC 151. But nonetheless, given their other options, he was as viable as anybody. The story goes that Dan Henderson late notice let the UFC know he'd blown his knee out. Dan Henderson has an, uh, a partial tear in his MCL. He tried to train, he tried to, to, to continue to work out. He saw doctors and, and there was nothing we could do. And so the promotion scrambled to find a new opponent to save the card as the event was as thin as 125 weight cut Dillashaw. The only name that could or wanted to step up was Chael. But to the surprise and chagrin of the UFC, Jones refused on such short notice. Worried that perhaps Sonnen was aware of teammate Henderson's injury much longer than anyone else and had secretly been preparing. The resulting cancellation was laid squarely on the shoulders of Jones and coach Greg Jackson by the UFC. Dana White famously calling Jackson a sport killer. It was a big old mess that led to a season of tough between Chael and John, where they would eventually fight it out, and it went just about how you would have thought. As much fun as I had writing this list, what makes it work is the editing. So Luke Taylor, I mean, the guy deserves all the credit here. Honestly, the editors here are amazing, and one of the ways that you could support them if you wanted to, as well as get some more really cool behind-the-scenes looks at stuff, would be to become a channel member. I would highly recommend it, like our many channel champions, who I have to thank so much as well. But I would also really appreciate it if you liked and subscribed, if you really enjoyed the video. And yeah, guys, I'll see you on the next one. This was a lot of fun. Always love looking at your opinions down in the comments. I will see you guys later.